You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review on Tuesday morning, January 29th, almost the end of the month here. Your one-stop shop for true independent conservative thought where we actually focus in depth on the issues that matter not on the raw soap operas. And I'm telling you, if we ever needed such a focus, it's now. We need to sustain this national dialogue over the severity of the threat from the cartels, what is going on on our border. And today, I really wanted to bring to you a special guest, which is why I'm recording actually very early today, um, because we have a sheriff on the line who has to get to work early. Um, It's two hours behind there in Arizona. And I just want to preface this by saying I didn't plan this out scheduling-wise this week, but yesterday we spoke a lot about New Mexico, particularly the northwest corner, Hidalgo County. You kind of have a little bootleg there into Mexico, you see on the map, where it was pretty dormant for for many years where there weren't that many illegals coming through, and now it's just exploded with activity, criminal activity, drugs, hundreds of people coming over at once from Central America. Um, Basically, our Border Patrol has been turned into... Uh, ad hoc hospital where they have to fly in medevacs to deal with all these people before the media gets on their case. And it's, it's pretty bad. You know, obviously we saw the reports from CBP, you got scabies, you got influenza, um, smallpox coming in. I mean, chickenpox coming in through the, through the area, all sorts of problems. It's an utter disaster, but what's fascinating to get a full picture of the border, you really have to appreciate the timing You know, when the flow ebbs and grows over time and where it goes, because that really teaches you and illuminates what are the incentives and disincentives that cause the smugglers to make certain decisions and incentivize certain illegal immigration. And what's really fascinating is right next door to Hidalgo County, New Mexico, is the southeasternmost county in Arizona. Cochise County, which seems to have a very different story in recent months where there really isn't that much criminal activity and migration going on. I figured we'd have the sheriff on to discuss what lessons the rest of the border can learn from him um, because not all areas are created equal. And I think there's a lot to, to learn from that. So, so Mark Daniels is a Cochise County sheriff. He's been the sheriff since 2013. But really, he's been in the area serving in law enforcement uh, for forever. Um, after serving in the Army, he began his law enforcement career uh, in the county in 1984. So this is a guy who's been fighting the bad guys at our border since I was in diapers. Um, he's also been on the leadership of the National Sheriff's Association, Southwest Border Sheriffs, Western Sheriff's Association, as well as a former president of the Arizona Sheriff's Association. He also serves in an advisory role to the Department of Homeland Security on border issues. So I really don't think there's too many uh, people in this uh, in this country who have a broader, fuller, deeper picture of what is going on than Sheriff Mark Daniels. Hey, Mark, are you on the, are you on the line and are you, are you ready to go? Yeah, good morning, Daniel, and thanks for having me. Really appreciate you coming in early. I know you got meeting early. It's uh, obviously you know seven in the morning by you, two hours behind where the political world turns in this country, which is the East Coast. Um, yeah, everything re- revolves around the around Washington. Um, I'm just curious if you could just give an overview from where I sit. I am seeing to the west of you. You're in the Tucson sector, but you're not in Tucson. It's a rural area, Cochise County. It's as big as. Uh, Connecticut and Rhode Island combined, very big area. You got Tombstone there, a lot of famous Western cities, um, but very rural. To the west of you, 
it's a disaster. I, I just saw Arizona CBP put out a press release on a group of 246 individuals came over um, in Lukeville, west of Tucson, with lots of health problems. To the east of you, we spoke about yesterday, 306 people came um, in Hidalgo County over the weekend. In one shot, the cartels pushed them over there. They said this was the 26th group of 100 or more who came at once uh, just since October. Why is it that your county sandwiched in between seems to be a lot quieter? What are you doing right there? Well, uh, Daniel, one of the things we've done here in Cochise County is, you know, after three decades of working down here and seeing the evolution of this border plan, uh, and there's a lot of strengths to the border plan, but there's a lot of weaknesses too. And so what we've done, since there has been no redefinition on this border plan for 25, 30 years, is we took areas that have the unprotected areas and we made them a strength. And so we put a virtual system in there. We put a, a, a elite border team together made up of locals uh, working with our governor. And we went in these areas. We went to these private lands, the areas, quote, the environmental areas where they can't put any barriers or any kind of um, structures. And we went in those areas um, and with our virtual system. And let me say, we, we've brought smuggling, drug smuggling to a halt here in Cochise County. Uh, we have a 100% conviction rate when it comes to that's both juvenile smugglers and adult smugglers. Uh, we've, we put the education message out there that if you come in our county, that uh, we will prosecute you. I think our, we're at 68% if we see you on one of our cameras that we're going to catch you. And that's a pretty high stat in a rural desert like this and mountainous area. And so... Uh, we're also the only agency that has the military assigned to us 24-7 that watches our camera system. A again, it goes back to being very proactive, being very innovative. Our system is complementary in nature to what the federal government's doing, and now their system is complementary to what we do at the local level. And we've also, the other ingredients of this is we brought our community into this uh, program as part of a tier to this. So you have community, local, state, federal, all working together. Um, and it's been very, very beneficial. The cartels are now going around our county. We're just not a county that seemed to be, hey, we don't want to go there. If we get caught, we're going to prison. And uh, right now, if you get caught, first offense juveniles from the ages of 14 to 17, you go to prison for 1.5 years. Adults, two years. That's first-time offenders. Now, they've been deported or they have other issues in their back, criminal background. Obviously, that escalates from there. And uh, so it's just not a place to do your illicit uh, business here in our county. And we're proud of that. Wow. Th that's there. There's a lot to unpack there because, you know, from what I'm seeing in other places. So l let's just talk about the drugs. Obviously the drugs are a big part of this um, where that is the, still the primary trade of the cartels, but human smuggling goes together with it. And we all know the federal government will not prosecute juveniles for, for drug charges and, and the cartels know that. Correct. Um, on a local level, a lot of these places, they're also being very lenient. They're moving in the opposite direction, really trying to avoid locking people up, much less juveniles. I, I've, if you could kind of elaborate on that point, because I've heard for a while that a couple observations. Number one is that we saw the drug crisis explode in 2014 in this country with the UACs, the Central American teenage boys coming over. A lot of them were drug smugglers, but also... I've heard, and I, I'm forgetting the. There's a Spanish word for it, but the name of the, the 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 Mexican American dual citizens in the middle schools and the high schools along our side of the border, where the cartels would recruit them because they knew that they wouldn't. Th there was no deterrent because they wouldn't be prosecuted. Could you speak about your experience with that and how you you kind of shut that down? Well, what what came to light was, and you're exactly right, around 2014, 2015. The cartel found the loophole in the federal government. That was to to utilize juveniles to transport drugs into our country. So what was happening is through our port of entries, through our deserts, uh, they were uh, using juveniles. They get caught by border patrol, by the port of entry officers, and nothing would happen to them. There was no consequences to smuggling drugs. So what would happen is they'd get kicked back across the line or turned over to their parents on the U.S. side. And so uh, we stepped in with a conversation with our federal partners who were just as frustrated as we were. I think we had 22 
um, juveniles in 45 days smuggling that nothing happened to. Um, so there was no consequences. So guess what? Uh, a couple things happened. Number one, the juveniles that were deported back to Mexico, they would go back, they would get beat. We have photos where they would get beat by the cartels because they lost their drug load. Uh, what an environment that is. Well, the second part about it is... Uh, oh, wait, wait, for freeze load. frame. Before you get to the second part, so a lot of people think it's very um, uh, humanitarian and being very nice not to prosecute them. But you're saying that's really the worst thing for them because you take away the drugs, but you don't lock them up. They get sent back. They get tortured by the cartels. That's exactly right, Daniel. And that's and like I said, I mean, they, they would actually beat these juveniles. Uh, and what, and you, you think about that. That's just terrific for a young mind. But again, these were vulnerable youth, both from our side, both from Mexico that were being solicited. Um, and again, it was a not a healthy lifestyle. Let's put it that way. The cartel people, you know, when we think of the cartel, a lot of people have no idea what the cartel's about. They're about violence and they're about greed and fear and fears in there with the violence. So they're, they're very ruthless in so many ways. So what we did was we all came together, got with our county attorney and said, hey, we need to fix this problem. We need to fix it. So now what happens is any juvenile, and still to, to date, if a juvenile gets picked up at the port of entry with cocaine, meth, fentanyl, um, whatever, heroin, whatever it may be, they contact the sheriff's office, our office, our deputies go down there, and we, we initiate the investigation. We take it over, and we prosecute at the state local level. Again, 100% conviction rate. Now, let's, to be fair, if they have an adult with them, which a lot of times they do, uh, they have an adult with them, we take the adult too. Uh, we make it inclusive to everybody, so it's just not on the juvenile. And um, Border Patrol gets a, a juvenile smuggling in the desert. We take those too. We went from an average of one or two remanded drug smuggler juveniles in our facility a day to 26 to 30 a day. Um, and that's how, that's how bad this problem was. Since that time, we went to every high school in our southern part of our county and said, hey, listen, here's the prevention speech. Here's the education speech. Do not become subject to this problem. Um, do not get involved. Now, and then we also went to our legislators at the state level and said, listen, we need to have these juveniles back into a juvenile center. Even though they're remaining as adults, they still have the same mandates as a juvenile when it comes to their exercise, their educational needs, all those that come with it. So we got that change. They're active juvenile center, but they're still charged as an adult. Uh, I was pressured by um, our Superior Court's office saying, Sheriff, this is wrong. Well, here's my philosophy on that is, is you can't turn your head. The cartels are going to exploit these juveniles. Second of all, these juveniles are safer in my hands and the government's hands than they are the cartels. We mm-hmm. give them education. We give them counseling. We give them medical, uh, whatever it takes to get these kids thinking the right way. So when we get them released a year and a half later. Hopefully they have a better thought of life than they do with the cartels. Talk about criminal justice reform. That's pretty funny. I mean, when when the political class uses that term, they mean something very different. I think that's that's a really powerful point. I, I you know, even since last time we spoke offline, I I didn't know about that. And that's a really interesting thing to think about how, you know, th- this whole border debate seems to be an exercise in political compassion. That's really cruelty. Um, where yeah. they think, you know, incentivizing just a free for all is somehow being nice to people. Forget about the, you know, consequences to Americans, but even just the illegal immigrant kids, or in in this case, sometimes they're they're dual citizens or they're Americans on our side. Um, that's very fascinating that, you know, you're actually saving a lot of them. So so this was what you guys called Operation Immediate Consequences. Yes, it, it is. And and the show we're at today is you know, we had this huge spike, this huge epidemic of juveniles being involved in drugs, drug trafficking has come down to one or two again. So the cartels said, hey, OK, we're not going to do this no more. Unfortunately, what we're seeing, too, is juveniles being used to um, transport or scout adult human smuggling, which I call modern day slavery, into our country. And, the, and we don't. As local law enforcement, we don't deal with immigration laws, mm-hmm. so there's nothing happening to these juveniles. There's no consequences for them. Another issue that, again, the, the federal government needs to bring that loop and fix it, and that is you have to be able to prosecute juveniles. And I've talked to many U.S. senators on this, uh, other folks, trying to get this law changed and, and get the uh, the proactive approach towards prosecution of juveniles. Wow. Um, th- this might be obvious to you, but what you're saying is really 
um, it's really earth shattering because this this issue, a lot has been said on the border. This issue is not talked about. I mean, I'm all over this issue politically and no one talks about it. Obviously, we've done a lot of work here on the criminal justice side just in general. Um, I'm just curious what your thoughts watching the entire political culture. I don't know if you see it in Arizona, but it's in most states and, and just at a federal level, they passed a law literally reducing front end, back end sentencing for the most hardened. I mean, I don't need to tell you as a local sheriff what a federal right. drug trafficker is when you graduate to the federal system, but these leniencies for them and what that's going to do to incentivize this behavior. So you're saying that front end deterrent on locking up, on prosecuting for drug charges is just as much a part of a border plan as say infrastructure and, and, and fencing. And that's exactly right, Daniel. You have to send the message out there that there is a zero tolerance. There is consequences if you get caught. And and the probability of getting caught in my county is high. It's very high. When when you have the three tiers of government, you have your community all working together for a common cause in our county. Let me tell you, we we were known as in fact this was a, a term that was labeled by the federal government to Cochise County years ago of cocaine alley. Because we had so much cocaine coming through our county. Uh, and then you look at the current times. I mean, the cartels are avoiding our county because they know that, hey, we catch you. There's going to be consequences. In fact, one of the jokes is you know, when we get the smugglers, when our teams get the smugglers out there, they ask, are you Border Patrol or are you Sheriff's Office? And this is not ill toward our Border Patrol partners. We were very close with them. But they know if the sheriff's office put handcuffs on them, <laughs> they are going to prison. Uh, that, there, there's, no, there's no wiggle room there. And that's the message that's been sent to the cartels and to our young folks who we do not want smuggling. We don't want them involved in smuggling. We want them playing sports, getting an education, enjoying life, being the typical teenager that most Americans have grown up as. And we don't want them in our deserts, you know, smuggling these cartels. Just, there's nothing healthy about that. What a lesson for our politicians, because this, in my mind, reverberates beyond the border, just in, on crime in general. They're always like, well, Dan, you'll want to just lock everyone up. But I think the lesson is that if you deter and they know you will be locked up, you'll get the best outcome, which is they won't try it to begin with. Um, you know, so then, you know, you won't have the crime and then you won't have the incarceration levels either, which they seem to to care about. Wow, that is that is a big deal. So you're basically saying that Sinaloa, which is to the south of you there, um, right. they, they control all of Arizona into New Mexico, uh, certainly California westward. And then until you get to Texas, where you got CN, <clears throat> CNG, uh, J, whatever that is, Jalisco, New Generation, you got Zetas. But there you got Sinaloa. So you're saying they basically know that there's this nutty sheriff there that you won't want to really avoid. And, and that's a positive nutty sheriff. And, and <laughs> I'll take that title under this under these circumstances because it's true. And we work together in a collective manner as sharing a mission. It's apolitical. I don't care if you're Democrat, independent, Republican. What we've done on this is put a program together that enhances the quality of life in our county. And the best report card on that, besides the measurable goals that we have, the facts, you know, the statistics, the most measurable goal we have is our rural folks have lived on this border for 30 years, now saying this is the best it's been. This is the best it's been. Ironically, one of the complaints we're getting now is the east side of our county, which abuts up against New Mexico, the state of New Mexico, is this is where all the traffic's going right there. A county that, as you said in your opening, has been pretty, pretty calm for years, has now become uh, very, very active. And um, with that being said is my ranchers on the east side of my county are, are seeing this just a couple miles to their east. And they're like, wow, obviously the fear that they don't want to come back into Arizona. And we're watching that. I mean, we're seeing drug smuggling on the east side of my county, the west side of my county, but not in my county. So wow. we'll continue this. We'll continue this. We'll sustain this. We'll grow this. Uh, our virtual system's growing as we speak. Uh, uh, we'll keep working together uh, with all the governments coming together, and we'll, we'll, we're doing our darnest to keep this county safe. That's that, that's pretty amazing stuff, and and so our listeners could uh, you know hear you attest to this. Um, there's a rancher I'm sure you're familiar with, John Ladd, <clears throat> um, and I'm reading here from the Douglas Dispatch. This is from last year. This was a guy I remember appeared in videos by some organizations that I'm friendly with um, that you know, tries, try to raise awareness, the problems of the border. And, and not too long ago, 2014, 2015, 
um, you know, this guy was quoted as saying, "Hey, this is a big problem. My property is full of these traffickers and you know human smugglers." I know, as late as 2015, you testified before the Senate Homeland Security Committee on all the problems. Um, and again, that was just four years ago. But this guy, John Lett, is quoted as saying, "This is when you were appointed to the Advisory Council for on on Homeland Security um, for DHS." He said he was very happy that you were appointed because our sheriffs have done a whole lot in the county and the prosecutors and the attorney to step up and try to enforce the law. That That's very telling coming from a rancher. Well, it is because there, there are true consumers when it comes to our rural parts of our county and, and their quality of life, their, their cultures on these rural parts have changed over the last three decades. And to get that back to them where they have a sense of normality is pretty impressive. And, uh, I know we've had a bunch of visitors from D.C. coming down, checking out what we're doing, and the ranchers, we invite them in there, and, and, and they tell them, hey, it's working, it's working, keep doing what we're doing. And so it is. It's exciting in one area, and it's uh, it can be done. We want to take this to the other 30 border counties and, and continue doing what we're doing here in Cochise because it can work. But politics got to step aside here. They, they truly do. I mean, this, this is about public safety. And uh, this is about our national security, and it's also about humanitarian efforts. And we got to continue those 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 efforts. If I didn't know anything, which I, I really am very unfamiliar with the geography there, I would say, all right, you know, the reason why you don't have much going on there is because it's it's very rugged. It's much more rugged than, say, the western part of Arizona's border. Um, but as you noted, it wasn't always like that until fairly recently. It was Cocaine Alley. There's a lot going on there. And then I look to your east at Hidalgo County. It's it's really also very rugged. So, you know, they, they're just as deterred by geography there as they would be in another rugged county, but they're going to go there if they don't feel a disincentive. And I, I see, I know you don't want to make this political because it really shouldn't be. But unfortunately, what I've noticed is it seems to me that your county is, you know, both from the ranchers, the people living there, the prosecutors the politics is as such that everyone is oriented towards stopping this. Whereas you look at New Mexico, it seems to be a different political environment. Um, and that's kind of what concerns me because it seems like some of what you're saying is a no brainer, but you have to want to implement some of these policies. Well, and you're exactly right on Daniel. You know, we all, all the um, debate over the wall. I look, I, I take the debate to another level and that is the debate of will. What I don't hear is the the will, the consensus of everybody saying our elected national leaders, uh, including our president, who has been very strong on border security, but our congressional folks saying we need we all let's, let's all agree on the will to secure our border. We have that will in this county. Nobody's arguing the fact that we need a secure border here, um, and, and that's what's amazing. Nobody's protesting us down here. Nobody's throwing rocks at deputies and my office saying, this is wrong, Sheriff. No, we all agree that we need to have a secure border because a secure border promotes public safety. It promotes quality of life, promotes economy, promotes everything we want to do in our county to grow. And that's where we've been. And that's where we're going. And we'll continue to grow that way. I, I don't know if you want to comment on this, but but a disturbing thought that's really just been budding in inside of me as I look at the border. One of the things that has always, that, that has always really stuck with me was when law enforcement of various types, state and federal, used to always tell me a rule that organized crime cannot exist without political protection. And there's nothing more organized than illegal immigration and just all of the things surrounding it, the drug and human smuggling, sex trafficking. It's all organized by the cartels. It's out in the open. It's not random. It's not some random, you know, street mugging that's, you know, hard to catch. And you need some sort of political protection. And I look at the ge the political geography of other areas. You look certainly at California. You know, we don't really need to say much about that. I think California is a punchline. But you really, you look at Texas as well. And um, Texas is a conservative state, but but if you look at you know El Paso, all the way down through the Rio Grande Valley, most of those counties are just you know just the reality is they are blue counties. And I really wonder, you, you know, you say no one's protesting you, but, you know, you, you look at some of these other counties, you'll find the sheriff saying, we don't have a problem, even though they do have a problem. Um, we don't need a wall. We don't need this. 
You even have some people, some of the you know citizens there that seem to not care or seem to be supportive of illegal immigration. And that's what I wonder if really the truth lies in some of that where a lot of this is very political, not just, you know, we focus at the politics in Washington, which is certainly true that a lot of the politicians, the Democrats want the votes, a lot of the Republicans want cheap labor, so they don't do anything about it. But do you feel that in other areas along the border, there's a local politics that kind of protects this to turn a blind eye to the obvious ways of deterring illegal immigration. Yeah, and I and I don't debate that. I, I do agree. There there's you know, there's politics at the local level too. Don't get me wrong, I, I have my political challenges here. Um, but the bottom line is as long as you do what's legal and you do what's right, based on your oath of office to support the constitution, support the laws of your respective state and county, how do you go wrong? Where's politics in that? Uh, you, you do what's right. You do what's legal. And that's been my model. That's where I've always gone from is after this, my 35th year in law enforcement and working in this county. It's kind of like I'm not going to change who I am because somebody doesn't politically agree with me. I mean, show me it's illegal or immoral and ethical. Yeah, I need to change my ways, but that hasn't been the case. You know, obviously, if I have a border sheriff on the show, I'd be remiss if I don't bring up border wall fencing, things like that. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. My, my understanding is that in your county, you have maybe in the center of it, you do have a fence, but it's it's not nearly as substantial as some of the you know much hyped Yuma or San Diego fencing. It's much lower, easier to get over. And then that in many other parts, you have nothing or just the uh, picket fencing, the uh, vehicle barriers. But, you know, is it true that you don't have that much substantial fencing in your in your uh, county? Yeah, we got about 40 to 50% of our 83 international miles that we uh, have in our county. The reason we have the fencing and the reason you see fencing on the southern border, anywhere on the southern border, is either there's population. And what I'm talking about is three targeted cities, Yuma, El Paso, San Diego, or the t- three targeted cities for population. And, or you have port of entries. We have two international port of entries here. That's why we have the fencing that we have, which ranges from 13 feet to 18 feet. Um, otherwise, if we didn't have a port of entries, we would have nothing in this county. New Mexico's in that position where they don't have a lot of population, so there's uh, they rely on their port of entries to have any kind of infrastructure. That's how the plan was devised 35, or correct, 25, 30 years ago. And that plan's still in place. So I, I think it's still very telling that in your county, you don't have... I mean, it's not a really impervious fence. And then there's areas where you don't have it. And and you still have this much success. There's been a lot of debate over you know other infrastructure. So you mentioned cameras. And you know even a lot of my colleagues on the right, they, they'll poo-poo that. Come on, you know it doesn't help. You, you need a fence. But isn't it true that the cameras work because in your county you'll actually go and get them and prosecute them. Well, that's exactly right. And and with our our system, whether you have a physical barrier, a virtual barrier, whatever you're using um, to stop people, the bottom line you have to have support behind it, and that's human support. And we have that here. And again, let me go back for just a second. We have seven. Um, men that are signed to this border team, this regional border team. And with those seven folks, now again, it's been compliments to our federal partners and other local agencies, uh, but they have steered this whole program. Seven folks have done this to deploy hundreds of cameras in our county and beyond. So it can be done, but you have to have the end measure, and that is, you know, consequences and enforcement. If you don't have that, education prevention is, you know, 66% of the battle. The other 33% comes through the enforcement consequence. Well, you you know, the way to stop illegal immigration is to make it illegal. <laughs> you got to... Yeah, very got, much so. Very you got to deter so. it, and you can't want it. I mean, that's, that's I think, the important lesson. Um, one other thing I just... I know we got to wrap up. You got to run. Um, one of the things I just wanted to touch on that you mentioned, you said you have the military that is helping man some of this um, again, what's special about your county? Is it that you are more willing to cooperate than other local authorities? I'm trying to figure out why other counties are not utilizing this where you have the military monitoring as closely as in Cochise. Well, part of it is, is it starts with partnerships, starts with relationships, and it also starts with it works. 
I mean, we we started this back in 2015. People all looked at us, you know, like, okay, whatever. Another year of trying to push a program. And, yeah, good luck on that. You know, the board's been secure for how many years? Uh, but what we did was we kept people involved. We kept people uh, with the information. We shared it. It wasn't uh, territorial to the information or territorial to the pro, uh, program. And so, with all that being said, uh, the program grew. To give you an example, on a weekend, we get 4,000 picks a weekend on our system. So we outgrew our own system in the fact we didn't have the manpower. So we needed that logistical support. We worked with our governor. We got the Arizona National Guard down here, and now they're here 24-7 working with us. And, and the end result is it's working. So as long as it's working, it's, it's a team effort, just not me. I mean, the governor, the troopers. Border Patrol, we're all working together on this. And so we're all pretty proud of where we've gone with this program. And uh, I can't control what happened in the county east of me, county west of me, uh, or the county back in where I grew up in Iowa. What I can't control is what happens in my county where people have elected me. Wow, that, that that's really something else. A f- final point I wanted to bring up before I let you go. Um, I'm looking at an article literally from a couple of days ago, KGUN, um, you know, in your, your neck of the woods there where you had this individual, Victor Lopez of NACO, um, meaning the Mexico side, he's a Mexican national. He was arrested for sexually assaulting a nine-year-old woman um, in your county at a stash house. And what I was thinking about this story, you know, we always think of illegal immigration, and that's one part of the problem. But, you know, obviously, you know, if you have a functioning international border, you want people to be able to come over on, you know, nationals of other countries come over legally, day workers, yeah. day passes, um, border, you know, they have these border passes. They, they're they not long-term visas, but they come over to work or do something else. And that's fine when done appropriately. But what has always concerned me is that there's something in between that. And that's the cartels. And that's, you know, there's just so much criminal activity. Um, and I always felt that that was going to be a national security problem in the sense that they could legally walk over, which in a vacuum is okay. We want that. But then, you know, you have so many criminal syndicates there that they could be working for. Can you talk a little bit about the problem with the stash houses? And if you generally have a problem with some of the legal border crossers and criminality? Well, I'll I'll highlight the case we just had where we had a stash house in one of our rural parts of our county again and uh and we don't get a lot of those i mean again they, they we used to again those went away uh we put the the program together but in this case we did have one uh what happened was and this what's good about this you always hear the stories about when well, we're afraid to come talk to law enforcement we're afraid you know that something bad will happen if we have to report a crime that is not the case here uh in fact it's the opposite they know if they report something that we're going to do something about it uh, there'd be a proactive investigation. Well, in this case, we had an 18-year-old illegal female that uh, was held in a stash house. And stash houses, there's nothing safe about a stash house. Well, in this case, uh, she was being sexually abused. Um, she ended up getting away, reported it to us. Uh, we did a complete investigation, DNA, uh, all things you do on a sexual assault. Uh, we tied that to a national uh, data bank. We uh, met the suspect that lives in Mexico but has a visa that comes across the, the border and actually works in our in our border areas. So we waited at the port of entry once we got the uh, uh, the, the lock on him and he came across and we were and we took him into custody and just arrested him. So what sends the message is that if you want to violate anybody, any human in our county, whether you're here illegally or illegally, we will practically investigate it and we will charge people that do that. So again, it just sends another message that if you enforce the law as your oath of office says you should and shall, I mean, it's not even discretionary, um, right things and good things will happen. And that's what we've done here. Wow. I, I think you were just alluding to the fact that a lot of sanctuary cities and he, I mean, I'm sure you've heard them, the sanctuary sh- sheriffs yeah. that claim, well, if you clamp down, you get ice in there, you clamp down on the, on the legal immigrants, then they won't want to report the crime, which they all say illegals don't commit crime, but then they kind of do. So, uh, so you're, you're saying, no, it's, it's when, when, you, when they know that there will be consequences for them, um, it, it keeps everyone safer. That's right. When you, skirt, when you skirt the legal system and you try to modify it for your own 
own beliefs or own opinions. We have a motto at the sheriff's office here that we're all entitled to our own opinions, but we're not entitled to our own facts. Let the facts speak. Keep the opinions to your close friends or everyone discuss it. But unfortunately, opinions can't drive our legal system. The facts and uh, the laws need to drive our legal system. Wow. There you have it, folks. That 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 was really a great briefing. And um, Sheriff, if, if you could do us a favor, when you speak to the folks in Washington, they really, in my view, they really don't get the drug aspect of this. Um, the entire political class, you just saw they almost unanimously passed the bill to go backwards on drug prosecutions, go backwards. Right. The whole culture is headed backwards. I, I am just telling you, you know a lot about the mechanics of the border. I'm not sure how much you appreciate how broken these people are when it comes to that issue in particular. They're headed in the exact opposite direction. I think that's a important thing. They, they really need to hear from you on that. Yeah, and and again, I'm very strong on that is you know, a nation of laws or a nation of rules and consequences. And when you neglect that, bad things happen. And I'm, I truly, and I'm all about the humanitarian effort. I mean, that's why I'm a sheriff. But the bottom line is, if you break the law, there has to be reasonable penalty, reasonable consequences for those actions. Well, thanks so much for joining us this early in the morning, taking away time for your busy schedule. Thanks for keeping everyone safe. Thanks for advising the feds. Keep up your good work. And would you please come back sometime? Sure, anytime. Thank you, Daniel. And be safe out there. Take care. Alrighty. There you have it, folks. That was Sheriff Mark Daniels. He has been working that border in that county since I was in diapers. And obviously, he's been sheriff since 2013. Wow, that was really special. Um, Honestly, I mean, I haven't spoken to him that much. We had a couple conversations, but I really learned a lot. And I'm telling you, this was really new to me. Part of what I've been trying to do is piece together the border. And, And this particular point actually didn't click in my mind until this week. When... You know, like I said, it started when I saw the El Paso sector explode, 1886% increase in family units, much more than any other sector. I was like, wait a minute, what's going on there? And okay, is that El Paso on the Texas side? Well, they, they have significant border fencing that everyone's talking about. And then I was like, well, you know, New Mexico is part of it and they don't have too much fencing. And yeah, that's where it is. And, and particularly, it's in the westernmost county. Hidalgo, where you have Ant- the Antelope Wells um, crossing there, which abuts right up to Cochise County, which is uh, Sheriff Mark Donnell's uh, territory. And to me, it's just fascinating. You literally, you could, you could draw a picture of it. To the east of him is worse than ever. To the west of him is worse than ever. But in his county, it's great. Now you say, well, it's a very rugged county. But no, I mean, I, I have his testimony from 2015 where he was saying it's a big problem. And and that um, that rancher that's quoted in the article, and we're going to link that article in show notes, he was complaining for years. There were uh, videos put out by FAIR. I think it was FAIR, um, the you know anti-illegal immigration group. They used to do videos with him talking about how his property, because he has a massive, massive property. Um, some of these ranches are, are miles even. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just a smuggling carter. But there's, there's a number of lessons to glean from there. I mean, one of them, if you listen between the lines, and I, I want to really develop this in our coming shows on the flip side of the coin where we're not seeing this sort of cooperation. But remember how I said organized crime can only persist if it has political support. You know... Cochise County is a very conservative demographic. And these ranchers are pissed. And they work and, and, and they, you know, they elect good sheriffs, they elect good st- prosecutors, they, and they all work together to get it done. The problem is you go to New Mexico, a lot of the sheriffs are liberal. A lot of the people living at the border, I mean, you know, they're gonna tell you this in New Mexico and Texas, and certainly California. I think this is really where you see the difference. The political culture up and down from the people to the elected officials in these areas, let's just say the borderline of the international border is very murky. <laughs> it's very murky, and, and, and the culture kind of swings over, 
And it's kind of like Mikasa Esukasa, if you know what I mean. That's a problem in a lot of these areas. Because notice we're, we're, we're skirting the federal issues. We're not solving the asylum UAC hole, the Flores Agreement. We didn't even talk about what Border Patrol does. This is just local law enforcement. They're not even enforcing immigration. But if you commit a crime on his soil, particularly the most common for them would be drugs, you will be prosecuted. And they know it. A couple of very important lessons. You also saw the lesson that... You're not doing anyone good by being lawless. You have to enforce the laws. There's nothing novel about the border. And again, you see, it's not even about the border wall. I I wish I could find a picture of you. It has a wall like in the center part of the county, but it's it's nowhere as substantial as even the Yuma one, which they're going over in the San Diego fence. Some areas it's quite low and it looks easy to go over. Other areas you, you you barely have anything or or just the you know Normandy picket fencing. But that's what it is. Now he talked a lot about a virtual fence and cameras, and you know, a lot of our side makes fun out of that. The reason we make fun out of it is not because it can't work. It's because it's subject, as he said, to the humans behind it. You need to put the humans behind it. Well, what if the humans behind it go don't give a darn? Or the humans behind it support illegal immigration right so then that that's why you need to rely on only you know a fixed physical barrier but here he's saying they will go after you they will find you and they'll go after you also the coordination with with the military so um you know a lot of very important things um i i i apologize i know the Obviously, the connection was a little bit tough. I mean, come on, this guy's out there, and you know, this is literally if you read a Western book or watch a Western movie, you know, Tombstone, Arizona. I mean, it's, this this is very remote. So I'm glad that we were able to get him at all. Hopefully, you heard almost all of it. There's some times he went in and out a little bit. The connection was a little bit tough, but uh, but I still think it was worth it. But again, notice notice the fascinating thing he said. So what happens when when they say, you know, the, the the Sinaloa doesn't care if their guys are caught because they know that juveniles won't be prosecuted? Well, they won't be prosecuted, but obviously we're going to confiscate the drugs. How do they go back? They're going to find them. They're going to torture them. See, ignorance of the facts on the ground, as he said, facts don't lie as well as enforcing the rule of law, are not cruel. The opposite is true. What they think is being humanitarian is really cruel. You can't have a cascading effect of an insane drug smuggling and human smuggling operation. You have to deter and shut it down. Every, anything less is cruel on, for everyone, including some of those very people. You know, I look at this, I, I referenced it at the beginning of the show when I was speaking to to the sheriff. Um, he is in the Tucson sector. Now, remember, what's a little bit difficult is that the feds, and, and I don't think he has data either, um, because the Arizona Department of Public Safety is nowhere near Texas. They're just, they just don't have it together. Um, they're not going to have county-level data. We have sector-level data, but you don't know where in the sector, which counties... They're actually coming in. So Tucson has exploded just like Yuma. Not not quite as much, not certainly as much as El Paso, but it has gone up. But he is the far east. So if you look at the western part of the sector, which is closer to Yuma, just yesterday, CBP of Arizona put out the following press release. 242 Central Americans surrender in Tucson sector as humanitarian crisis grows. So they said this was this was um, west of Lukeville, right? That's that's the west end. It's west of Tucson itself, the west end of Pima County, going towards Yuma. Agents discovered the group after they crawled on 
over and under the crude vehicle barrier separating the United States from Mexico. So this is where you have just the vehicle barrier. The group consisting primarily of family units from Central America included 130 juveniles, 11 of which were traveling without a legal guardian. Last week's large group that arrived by tour bus crossed in the same remote location. Trained DHS medical staff to include a physician were flown via helicopter to the Ajo station to screen every juvenile in the group, as well as any adults with medical complaints. Two juveniles with a high fever were sent to a local hospital for treatment while the remaining persons began immigration processing. If not for the DHS medical staff, several more would have required transportation to local hospitals for advanced medical examination, removing agents from border security operations. Look at what is happening. The, you could read between the lines in this press release that they are so terrified they have to tell the media, look, we're doing everything we can. Okay, it's standard standard operating procedures that any juvenile, we, we automatically do a medical screening. Any adult that complains, I mean, this is what we, we become? This is what happens? And the more we accommodate it and manage the invasion, the more you get the invasion. You got to deter it. There's a very simple lesson. And notice how this all ties back into jailbreak. I told you the crux of illegal immigration is inextricably linked with drugs. Anytime you go weak on the latter, you're going weak on the former. It's amazing. He says they have a 100% prosecution rate. They'll put in 25, 30 at a time. He says now they don't have to do it much because now you don't have it. Oh, we're locking up too many people. Well, you initially have to do it and then you deter it and then... You don't have the incarceration levels. Most importantly, you don't have the crime. Now, we know the political class doesn't give a darn about that. But at least if you're worried about the prison population, deterrent is your friend. Deterrent is your friend. So there's a lot going on there. Let me know. You know, Send me an email, dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Um, if... There's anything you want me to ask him offline? If there's something that piqued your interest, something you want me to follow up with, and I could ask him and, and come back to you and t- talk about it on the show. So uh, feel free to email me, tweet me at armconservative. But this is where we are now. We're at a junction point. And more and more... Trump needs to look at following existing law. And if courts want to violate existing law, you got to ignore them. Otherwise, there's nothing left anyway. Right now, he's in the worst possible scenario where he looks really weak on all fronts. The left hates him. He's losing, he's not accomplishing anything. The right, he is losing support and he looks weak. You can't just beg for more money from Pelosi. Let me read to you what's happening. Politico reports, Republicans may block Trump from another shutdown. Senate Republicans can't stomach another shutdown. After weathering 35 days of a partial government closure, the Senate GOP is dreading the possibility another one will hit in less than three weeks, a sentiment that could prevent President Trump from closing government again. Though House Republicans aren't ruling out supporting the president should he choose another confrontation over his border wall, the Republican Senate majority which actually has governing power, has another view. I didn't love, I did not love the shutdown. I wouldn't think anybody would have another, would have another shutdown, said Senator Roy Blunt, another jerky rhino. Um, you know, you think we only have uh, one Jeff Flake, but we don't. They quote Lisa Murkowski, obviously, given problems. Um, Mitt Romney. I don't think we want to face another shutdown. And I certainly don't think we want to have an emergency action taken. So the president and Congress will have to come together. So he's trying to foreclose on that. I mean, this, this is the problem he faces. Anything he does, as much as I criticize him and Jared and the staff that he has around him, I mean, this is why we, we will never solve this with the current Republican Party. It wasn't just Jeff Flake. He was the rule, not the exception. So um, this is the craziness. Anyway, I'm going to have an article out today on non-citizens voting, on the problem with that. We may have a guest on this week. I'm not sure to, to delve deeper into that problem. That's another big thing. And guess what? You know what's interesting? On the very week where Texas came out with the report showing 
how they found at least 95,000 non-citizens registered to vote, 61% of them having cast at least one ballot in an election. The House is voting on HR1. I'm sorry, they're not voting on it, but they're holding... House Judiciary Committee is holding a um, hearing today on HR1. Now, you might be interested. HR1, that sounds very interesting. That means like your number one priority. It's very symbolic when you name a bill HR1. It's typically your biggest priority. You know what it is? It's kind of this Omnibus Voting Rights Act, which basically mandates on the state same-day registration, automatic voter registration with driver's licenses. Could you imagine? It, it, it also um, blocks states from cleaning their voter rolls. So you, you, you know, in the Houston case in, in Ohio, you know, it took a year and a half, two years, but we finally got the Supreme Court to reverse the Sixth Circuit and say, yeah, Ohio, uh, you could actually follow a statute and clean your voter rolls. Notice, notice the lessons. Demo- notice what Democrats will do. When they don't like a, a court ruling, even if 90% of the court rulings are in their favor, they find one they don't like, immediately they have legislation to, to get around it and fix it. When do we ever find Republicans doing this? Republicans had two years to fix the problems with courts overturning photo ID laws, blocking states from verifying proof of citizenship. Nothing. Democrats come in immediately. HR1, their number one priority is what? It's always oriented towards getting more votes. And that's what the whole illegal immigration agenda is. We don't have an equal and opposing force. And until we create a new movement, and until we have a real party, sadly, we will not solve this problem. The best we can do is just propose the things we can do for now and pressure Trump to do, to do them. But just know how severe that problem is. But anyway, I'm really proud we were able to get him on the show. It was very hard to squeeze in in his schedule. These people actually work for a living. So this was 7 o'clock in the morning, his time. Um, thank you all for listening. Send me your comments, concerns, questions. D. Horowitz at Blaze Media. Until next time, God bless you all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.